0: that's ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Hit it. Here we go. After the morning
1: after. Oh, after the
0: night before.
1: Why so serious? Yeah. The hyperbole is done. Now we can finally play the game.
0: a challenge.
1: Miller, the shotgun, gets free, on the air, tracks to Miller, loose, then Miller heading for the end zone. Well played, sir.
0: You're the real MVP.
1: Let's do it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh,
0: you know what that yes means. Sir, I never get old. So. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the morning after. Uh case you're just joining us, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with the Ohio State and Georgia there, I'm JQ, I am from Ohio, I'm the Ohio State fan, and Ohio's big fan portion of this program, and as always, I got my partner the Absolutely, my road dog, the southern gentleman himself, Mr. Dylan Short, what's going on, bro?
1: Howdy, howdy. Another good week of Bulls. Uh, I think we kind of traded days going back at those picks, I think... Uh, I was right one of the days, you ended up being right the other. So, between us, I yeah. we'll make a little bit of money in Vegas.
0: <laughs> I know, right? We just have to pick the right days. Um, and I'll say we had bowl games, uh, good bowl season at at the end, because some of those uh, bowls were, were, were pretty bad. And, yeah, you know, I was trying to paint a good, put it with a pretty picture on it, but, you know, yeah, they were pretty bad. Um and the decision by the NCAA to have the the semifinals on New Year's Eve, as opposed to having it on the second, when everybody was home on that Saturday, and there was nothing on, I I I I really just don't understand that. But before I get into my thoughts about it, I want to throw it to you there, uh, uh, Dilly. I think we had what forty bowl games or something, just ridiculous. Um, I just want to get your impressions of what stood out to you um, across this bowl season, and not just necessarily from the the New Year's Six, just, you know, from beginning to end, was there anything that you saw that, that, that you know, stuck out to you that you wanted to talk about that you'd be looking forward to going to next year or anything like that? Parity in the NCAA. All mm-hmm. the conferences, yeah. with the exception of my SEC, of course,
1: all, the, uh, all of the conferences were fairly evenly matched. I think we learned that by um, most teams had a fairly close record to even, uh, except for I believe the Pac-12 got – beat fairly good. Um, Your Big Ten had a couple big profile losses. That doesn't ever help, but one was in a playoff game and one was in another big game. The Big 12 got the biggest Uh games, it looked like, so you can kind of forgive them for losing a little bit. Uh, We definitely learned that Houston was vastly underrated all year, and to have them come into that game at 19th was just an abomination. I don't know how you put a one-loss Houston team that has sat there and destroyed everybody and put them at 19. But that's what college football wanted, and that's what college football got. And instead, they got their homeboys, Florida State, sat up there and beat down. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I think there were four things that stuck out for me. Uh, one, just the – and I think everybody's going to say this, right? Just the level of blowouts um, that, that took place, you know, I, I really expected it to be going to your point with the parity that we would just see more, you know, even games. So, I mean, I mean there were just some full on destructions that happened and they kept happening. And I know that people at NCAA are just cringing, like, oh my gosh, you know, we, we already get so many complaints about there being too many ball games and then to have them, you know, end up so lopsided all the time, uh, is another is a is a black eye. Um and how about the five and seven teams? Three of them and they went three and oh. Uh which was was surprising. That's what I was about to bring here. up.
1: The yeah, big, it goes back the big big time to your point. I going to
0: about about five and seven bowl teams. All three of them won. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the Big Ten got a big black eye uh, just getting destroyed in, the, in those two near six bowls. Um, the third thing, man, Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, we joked around a little bit there was going to be West Coast what. white man football. And, man, listen, he looks like he is the, you know, I, he convinced me when I watched, you know, entirety of the Stanford Notre Dame game where he just put on a show. And then he did again against USC. But you know that first play when he was just running away from everybody on Iowa's team and nobody could even mm-hmm. get an angle on him. I said, "Oh my goodness, this this gonna be a soft day for the Big Ten in Iowa because they just looked like they were slow motion trying to catch up with him." And you know he's gonna. Get, and of and course it, he's gonna return. This
1: yep. So of course Wait. we bring up the game that I got the most wrong on that entire slate. Uh, you're, you you <laughs> hit on it perfectly. I knew McCaffrey was more athletic than all of Iowa. But Iowa was a very good fundamental team and McCaffrey was quick and agile enough to just destroy the angles taken. And that was that game you could pretty much just say that was McCaffrey's game. Hogan did just enough. He was careful with ball, but everybody knows if you can't stop McCaffrey, you can't win. And he did it in all three phases. I believe he scored a touchdown rushing, receiving and returning. Something yeah. like 370
0: yeah. total yards. Yeah, I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I I thought it would be closer, but I thought that he would do something in the return game to be the difference. But, I mean, from the get-go, he was the difference. So that, that to me, was surprising because I thought Iowa, like you said, was fundamentally sound defense. Man. They may not have a whole lot of rah-rah and a lot of fluff. But I thought they were hanging closer. But, yeah, Chris McCaffrey just put that team on his back, and he has to be the front-runner going next year for the Heisman. Um, and the last thing, I'm not sure if you watched it, but that TCU-Oregon game? Uh, Oregon I did jumping watch out, it. 31 uh, nothing, and TCU coming back. I turned it off. Full disclosure, I was out, Uh, you know, with another couple, and we watched the first half, and we just didn't want our wives to start yelling at us. <laughs> so <laughs> we changed it. And then I got a text like, I don't know if you're watching this, uh, this TCU Oregon game, but, you know, this this has been the best bowl game. And I said, wait, what? You mean that when I was watching I was 31 nothing, And I got back to it right in overtime. And, I mean, that's just that's just a heartbreaking lost for an Oregon team to get up 31-0 they're playing without just still wide receiver and Trevon Boykin who, come on, buddy, you can't break curfew and then go to the bar and get to a fight and punch a cop. I mean, seriously? Not
1: just breaking <laughs> curfew. He he was in his room for roll call and then snuck out of the hotel. Right. And got, and you got him, come be... on. Come on, And on, just bro. throwing come indiscriminate on. punches. Like that, I think yeah, that's man. the worst part of all of it. Like, he didn't even mean to hit
0: the cop he was just throwing a punch at anything. I mean, come on, dude. I, and so my question is, what kind of tail was he chasing in San Antonio? Because this is San Antonio, okay? This is not Miami. Oh, yeah. This is not New York. This is not L.A. He broke curfew to go see a chick or a group of chicks. I'm, oh, I'm fully convinced. Nothing else makes you do that in San Antonio other than some females. So, it's Texas girls, man. to get in. Yeah, man. But, you in know, Texas San Antonio, I, I, Lord have mercy. But – you know, it <laughs> we got, I, I was glad that I got to see Christian McCaffrey go against uh, uh, a highly rated sco- uh, school, and for people on the, this side of the Mississippi to see him, and I think a lot of times, you know, it, it, it was already a close-sized race, but I think he may have won it or made it even a tighter race if he played east of the Mississippi because he just was that good, and he's probably my number one takeaway from this bowl season. Um,
1: That's a good pick, but I'm still going to go with Houston, and with – all of them coming back for another year. I mean, you're going to give Tom Herman another year, or they've actually, I believe they've got a top ten recruiting class up to this point, uh, bringing in that Texas talent. That Houston team next uh-huh. year, going in next year, uh, Greg Ward with another year, if he can stay healthy that whole year. Kyle Postma with another bit of experience coming in. That team is going to be frightening. That team beating FSU on a national stage like the Peach Bowl, that gives yeah. them a lot of clout. Look for them to be the next Boise State, and they can get into the playoffs next year. Believe me.
0: Absolutely, and we talked about it before. You know, I'm a Todd Herman fan. with said at Ohio State, uh, he looks like he looks like the smartest coach out there. Not jumping at some of these mediocre school openings. He's staying there, and we talked about it. He's someone can't keep a quarterback. He's got a lot of clout hanging over him at Texas A&M now, and Lord knows how long those Texas supporters are going to let Charlie Strong stay there and go you know, 5-7 or 6-6, or six or six because they are also delusional, and they feel like, you know, somewhat so, they have so much talent in the state, they feel like they're supposed to be national champions every year, and then I don't know if they're going to give him the time to fix what else texas um, what Matt Brown walked out on. So he looks he looks brilliant for it, because we talked about it. You know, he's building that Texas recruiting base, and he can just port that over to, uh, to Texas and m or to Texas, if, if so be. So, yeah, that's a good call on that as well. And now... We are down to two. Uh, Alabama and Clemson looked fantastic in those semifinals to the point where guys probably said, hey, i, I can going to save face with my wife because this is a beatdown. Let's go, honey. You know, I don't, I don't have to get screamed at. Uh, so I think they really wanted Alabama-Oklahoma, but I still think they got what they should have gotten in Alabama and Clemson. I'm going to throw it to you. I think we're probably on the same wavelength for what – how this game is going to go and what's going to decide it. But uh, since we are here in the southeast, we got two southeast teams. I'm going to defer to you, brother. I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, get us rolling.
1: And this is my smug look day. I got this game, both of these games perfectly. All y'all <laughs> doubted me, thinking that, oh, Oklahoma's more complete, blah, 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 Dalton Clemson. <laughs> and they go out and put it to Oklahoma. Now I was a little wrong at first because they didn't they let Baker Mayfield get into a groove early. And Shaq Lawson went out of the game, and I will admit when Shaq Lawson went out of the game with that knee injury on like the first drive, I was a little nervous. Yeah. But once they started getting to him a little bit in the second half, once they shut down Samajay Pirine and Joe Mixon, and of course Pirine hurting his ankle twice was a big help. But that Clemson team is ferocious. Everybody talks about Alabama's front line, and rightly so, because Alabama's front line is just monsters all up and down the second and third string. That Clemson line is no joke. And that sets up, I think, was the best game of the season from the get-go. Alabama and Clemson are two of the most complete teams out there. You couldn't have two more different teams, and it's just going to be an incredible, incredible showing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what it comes down to me is that – Michigan State could not have got a worse matchup for the way they like to run their offense and have to face Alabama in that semifinal. That was perfectly tailored for Alabama. But now we all know Nick Saban hates the spread offense, and historically he has the most problems with the spread offense. And Deshaun Watson and that Clemson offense is going to get that Alabama defense fit. And you've already touched on it, not sleep on that Clemson defense as well. If I'm Clemson, I do what I normally do on offense, spread it around, let Deshaun have a run pass option, um, make them defend every inch of the turf because that's what Alabama normally struggles with. And when things break down, he can get that third and six with his leg and keep a, and legs and keep a drive moving. On the other well, side of the ball. Before we
1: crown that, hang on, hang on. Before we crown okay. that Alabama can't defend the spread, that's a little bit of a misnomer. Because if you think about the teams that Alabama played this year, and teams that run spread specifically, Everybody knows they got beat by Ole Miss. That's the one that everybody points to and says they can't handle the spread. Well, they put a beat down on A&M, who also runs a spread. Put a beat down on Mississippi State, who also runs a spread. The difference is Chad Kelly can do both of those things. He can run and throw almost equally. But that's what puts Deshaun Watson above because he is just as gifted of a thrower as he is as a runner. So I don't think it's Deshaun Watson as much that is your key. Of course he's your key because he's your big guy, but I think it's Wayne Gallman, the the silent monster. They're running back in the backfield. They're young stud back there because you saw with Florida, if you take away the running back's ability to run, they're going to get to your quarterback. So if Gallman can't run, if Gallman can't break some big yardage and gain some decent chunk yardage, he doesn't have to average a lot. Maybe he averaged three and a half, four yards. Just enough to where they have to actually respect the running back's game. It's going to be a long night for Clemson.
0: No, absolutely. I'm not saying that they cannot defend the spread. I'm saying historically the teams that give Alabama the most problems are that spread. If not the Michigan State that want to run that out formation and two tight ends, Those they can defend those offenses to the you know to the cows come home. The ones that give them the most problems. So that's what I mean. Not that it's a lot that Clemson is going to win, but they give them the most problems as that spread offense. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, if I'm Clemson on defense, I'm going to put eight men, nine men in the box. Coker is going to have to have a 350-yard passing, and four, four touchdown day to beat me. Because I know Derrick Henry can and will beat me. So, and then Coker is showing size of life down the stretch, and I give him that. But for everything, I'm not going to let Derrick Henry, let Derrick Henry beat me. Clemson has – the speed and athleticism on defense to stop that. And I would just say, hey, if you hit Ridley um, on on some deep passes and and they beat us on that, we can't defend on that, okay. But I'm not going to let Derek Henry go off for a 40-carry, you know, 200-yard day. And we look back at the end of the day and say, why did we let this dude beat me? We know he can do it. I'm going to make Coker do it, and then I'm going to make Alabama defend the whole, every inch of the turf on, on defense. And I think that's Clemson's best chance to maybe stick out with a victory.
1: I agree. And you've got a matchup on the other on flipping that around, you've got a matchup just as big on both sides of the ball. Um, Clemson cannot fall behind by more than ten. If you go down ten to Alabama, you're not coming back. With their ability to just grind it out, you're not going to come back from that. But the matchup on the outside, and you mentioned Ridley, and that is that is going to be the key for Clemson. McKenzie Alexander against Calvin Ridley. Mackenzie Alexander is an outstanding corner. If he can man up on Calvin Ridley for at least a decent portion of the game where they don't have to consistently roll another safety over, then they'll be okay. If they have to consistently double Ridley, that's going to open Richard Mullaney over the middle. It's going to open O.J. Howard, and it's going to make life a little bit miserable for that defense and get them running around. That defensive line has to play strong, and those linebackers have to fly and hit their holes perfect, because you cannot give Henry any momentum past the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. If you hit him at the line or behind the line, he'll go down. He is not really good on first contact at or behind the line.
0: But if he gets that head of steam going, you're not going to stop him. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Eddie George. And and that's yeah. one of the things is you can't let him get moving. You have to stop him in the back of the track. If you let him get a, burst, uh, a bit of momentum coming through that hole, he's going to be tough to bring down. Uh, so, Given all of that, uh, what say you there, uh, Mr. Dylan Short? Who are you picking? This is such a hard game to call. <laughs> yeah. My first
1: instinct is to go Alabama just based on the size of that defensive line. I mean, they have six or seven defensive linemen all over 300 pounds, all who can move, all who are carbon copies, except for A'shaun Robinson, who's the biggest, strongest, and fastest of the bunch and Nick Saban is 8-0 against his assistants coming into this game. He's never lost to an assistant. But I just think there's something about this Clemson team. I'm going to I'm going to go with Clemson and it's it's weird and I'm not real confident in this pick, but I'm going to go with Clemson. I think Dabo's got that swagger going. I think Deshaun Watson has infected his team with that calm, cool, collected mentality. They're coming in as an underdog again. They just were able to stop a aired-out, high-powered offense in Oklahoma, and I think they can do it. I think they can pull it out, and I think I think they take
0: it. Nice. Going out on a limb there. Uh, again, I'm with you. I can see either one of them winning, um, but it's hard, and that's an excellent nugget, the 8-0 no stat about Saban. I just have a hard time picking against Nick Saban in a big game. Um
1: eventually one of these assistants is going to beat him.
0: Yeah, you got to figure that it's going to average out, right? At some point, he's going to lose one. But I think he also, you know, him and Bill Belichick are really good friends, and I think he's going to go to that school of thought of, I'm going to take away your best weapon, which is Deshaun. I'm going to throw a lot of crazy stuff at him. Uh, him and Kirby are probably in the lab, cooking up some crazy uh, formations to throw at him. I, I think Alabama wins by, like, three. And – not because I like Alabama. It's just hard that, you know, all things been equal. They're two fantastic teams. I'm going to go with Nick's experience in these situations um, as a head coach over Dabble. I know Dabble has been around, but, you know, Nick has been through the grinder and, and you know, getting your team ready and through all the outside distractions leading up to the championship game. He's He's gone through all that. So I'm I'm going to go with Nick. Um, so I we'll can't read, argue with uh, your pick. I can't argue yeah, for all I mean,
1: practical I, purposes. Yours is the smart money. Yours is the smart pick. I just I just have a feeling about this Clemson team. And I'll sink or swim with it. Uh, I think them coming in as an underdog again is a big deal. I think that plays a, a big factor. And Deshaun's ability to stay calm under pressure and Dabo's ability to connect and get the most out of every player on his team, I think, can be that difference. But I, I don't disagree that it can go by three either way. And I think you have the smarter pick. I just I cannot pick against Clemson right now.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I I, I mean, I think I I went back and forth from that until I until I started talking about who I was going to pick because I think it's really just that close. And I think this is going to be one of those really, really, really good championship games. I know the NCAA is hoping for it considering how bad the bowl season has been in terms of blowout. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm throwing this into my man's wheelhouse. Um, you know, we're both living here in Atlanta. I know that, I, you know, I like the – the Falcons, but it doesn't break my heart when they lose. But I like to see them do well, you know, having lived in Atlanta for the last, you know, 14 years. Uh, starting off so well, hitting the big lull in the middle, and then, you know, it always sucks to get swept by the Saints. Uh, but you're looking at 8-8. Eight and, eight, and I know a lot of people, my partner being one, um, thinks that that masks a lot of what ails the Falcons. And will it make Arthur Blank sit on his hands and say, hey, we have, you know, signs of life, let's keep the status quo? Or should he, you know, shake it up? let Dan Quinn have all the all the power a la you know, Pete Carroll in Seattle. So I'm going to throw this softball to you. I'm just going to let you go with it. Um, what do you think Arthur Blank should do, uh, uh, with, and more particular about Dimitrov uh, this offseason? What I
1: think Arthur Blank should do and what he's going to do are two totally different things.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, he
1: needs to, he needs to fire Dimitrov yesterday. Dimitrov, mm-hmm. Pioli. You can leave McKay. I don't really care. He doesn't do anything anyway. But Dimitrov, Pioli, these are two guys who have failed in other places. They've proven to you that it hasn't worked here. We at the station. If you guys aren't familiar, for new listeners, I do some work over at Six Eighty the Fan on the front row with them, um, and we we were talking about this a little bit. And um, they're trying to find ways to say, you know, some of them try to stick up and try to find good picks, you know, like Desmond Trufant and um, Julio and Matt Ryan, uh, Jake Matthews. But these are all picks that you're not expected to mess up. I mean, these are your first round picks. Those are supposed to be your no-doubter picks, especially when they're in the top ten. Um, if you look past that, there's only one mid-round guy that you can say he hit on, and that's Devonta Freeman. And you wouldn't have hit on Freeman if you didn't bring in his own scheme. And if if you don't have the talent in place, then all this is moot, and you will not move past this. I don't know if you recall, but before the season started, I I said 8-8 eight eight would be what the Falcons would be. Now, when they went to 5-0... I thought they'd be about 10 – I thought they'd be 10-6. Uh, I didn't think that they would keep going and went out like everybody else was getting ahead of themselves, but I thought they would at least sneak out 10-6. and six. And it's a little bit of a disappointment that they didn't because they lost to – they had the easy schedule set up to win some extra games. I mean, you faced yeah. five backup quarterbacks. You faced teams that were not nearly as good as you thought they were going to be coming into the preseason. And you faced injured quarterbacks. And you got swept by a rookie. And you got swept yesterday – by a Drew Brees that could not move. And that is part of the disappointment. And you started out on offense, you started out in the first five weeks, you were number one in the league, scoring 35 a game. Through the last was it last eight games, you've averaged 17, which in the NFL today is garbage. I mean, that, mm-hmm. there's just nothing you can say. And they've tried to come up with reasons for what happened and with them saying Shanahan's system got complicated. But anybody who's buying that, and I don't know a single person who is, that's a cop-out. I mean, you can't look at those – I mean, just look at the first five games. It obviously wasn't too complicated. They got it right away and jumped out of the gate. What it was is it was not a system that could hold up over intense scrutiny. And as soon as coaches started to see tendencies, players started to see it and players have known. And you've had three separate instances of defenders saying they knew exactly what play the Falcons were going to run. Matt Ryan doesn't fit this scheme. He's not somebody that throws particularly well on the run. He's athletic enough to do it. But his game is so reliant on technique that preferably you need to keep him in the pocket where he can plant and throw and not have him to run and adjust his mechanics on the fly. So this thing, it needs to be done. But I'm starting to wonder if Arthur Blank is a lot more like Jerry Jones than Falcons fans want to contemplate because nobody in the football world, I mean, you've got NFL analysts during Falcons games talking about how bad this has been and how bad Dimitrov's drafting has been. Arthur's not dumb. He knows this. So the only reason I can think of for him to keep Dimitrov around is that he likes him a lot, he's a great friend, or that Arthur has more say in the personnel decisions that are happening than anybody
0: knows about, and he's keeping Dimitrov around to take blame. Well, you know there's a third piece to that, right? Um, and And I agree just before we get to that. It's about adjustments. And film after that 5-0 start, you know, they, they, they adjusted to what the Falcons were doing, and they showed over those next stretch of games, and like you said, were was set up perfectly for them. Art Dimitrov knows where the dead bodies are buried, and he has the naked pictures. Uh, so you can never you can never discount that. We all think that Arthur Blank is, you know, he's a philanthropist, he's a good guy, yada, yada, yada. He might have some dirt in his background that Dimitrov knows about, so he's like, I got to keep this guy around to keep him happy, so I stay off of TMZ. I'm not saying that's the case. But in 2016, I can't say that's not the case because nothing shocks me anymore. Um, I agree with you. Um, they missed on the Shanahan hire. I really do. I think they just missed on that. Uh, for what he's trying but to do with the quarterback, the have. Yeah, he, they they missed on that. Um, I think you if you're going to go get Dan Quinn, he comes from that age where Pete Carroll's doing a lot of the grocery shopping in, in Seattle, and he's learned that his bedside that you kind of and you him that hard. I feel like you need to give him that space to do that, and maybe you put somebody that you trust is, uh, GM-like to help guide him through there, but it's not Dimitrov, uh, most definitely, and, you know, you're right. You, you can't miss on the first ones, and everybody knew Julio was going to be a stud, and he gave up a, a King's ransom to get him, so are we really yeah, putting that feather in his cap? So, I mean, yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I, I think you got to let Dan Quinn get more of his say in there. You definitely got to let Pioli and Dimitrov go. I mean, Pioli hasn't done anything. And the for, only you know, problem, only problem with going with that Sorry, The only problem with going with that Seattle
1: thing like Pete Carroll has is it's not just Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is in the ultimate control, and he does a lot of it, but John Schneider is an outstanding talent evaluator. So if you're going to let your coach do that, you have to have a GM who can do the legwork and look at all the tape and sit down and discuss with the coach because the coach doesn't have time to do all of that during the year. There's no way that you can watch film on each college player and the opposing teams, and your own players, and conduct practices, and all of this. So you have to have a GM that can evaluate talent. And if you don't have that, then it doesn't matter if your coach is running it. I mean, Chip Kelly showed you that just because you can run a good system doesn't mean you can look at talent and know what you're doing. So you've got to have a good talent evaluator GM at the very least. And the Falcons don't have that in any of their four GMs. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I agree, and when I was getting to that, is I think I would let everybody else go, and then if I'm off the black, I would sit down to Dan Quinn and me and you make the decision about uh, is there an assistant GM in Seattle that you know just learning from the same thing, or somewhere else in the league that you that you value and let, and let them pair and run off and do their thing and get rid of the dead weight. So I, I'd I try so to I totally take Green agree. days. I, I agree I yeah. try to take
1: Green days. They don't play the free agency game. All of their players are people they've drafted, and that is the yeah, number one measure of coaching.
0: Yeah, but you got to say, but then you almost start from scratch, right, because the draft record in Atlanta right now uh, is not good. So you're almost going to have to have, going back to your free agent list, you're going to, you're going to have to get some of them while you try to draft exactly. and build up some of those guys to keep them in there. So agree. I think they're going to need a hybrid approach for right now until they can build up that base uh, of, of players that they've drafted. Um,
1: you have to so, hit on at least so, one. If you don't hit on your draft, you got to hit in free agency. And Dimitrov
0: hasn't yeah, been able exactly. to hit in either. Exactly. So that's enough time talking about in eight and eighteen. Uh we'll throw them back up on the list of topics when we figure out what Arthur Blake is gonna do. Uh so let's get to the games. Um you know this is gonna be a rough Saturday night for me. Um so I'll just start off with I'll just start off with that one. And I'm gonna surprise you. Uh I want AJ McCarron to start because I've seen what You're gonna pick can do. I'm gonna pick Pittsburgh because until until they do it. You cannot pick them. They haven't won a playoff game since 1991, okay? So, Marvin Lewis, that hasn't been the answer. Him and Don has not been the answer. I do like A.J. McCarron. You can go to the SEC West and win two national titles. I like his moxie. It doesn't seem like the, you know, it's too big for him. But until I see them do it and it goes to triple zeros and they have a win and we're moving on, I can't pick them.
1: Uh, this may not surprise you. I'm going to agree with you and go Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, I mean, outside yeah. of the intangibles and just the talent level on the field, Andy Dalton being gone notwithstanding, and maybe you can attest to this, there is just a block in the minds of Cincinnati when it comes to Pittsburgh. I mean, yep. Pittsburgh comes in saying, we're going to beat the crap out of you. We're going to end your season. And Cincinnati goes in thinking, oh, crap, Pittsburgh can beat us. Yeah, and I think it's been that yeah. way since yeah. Carson Palmer was a Bengal, and it's it's really sad because if this happens again and they go in and they're one and done again, you may see the end of Marvin Lewis.
0: No, that's somebody else. You talked about Demetral and Blank. He know, he he knows what Mike Brown's dead bodies are buried for one, and for two, Mike Brown is one of the cheapest owners that you've ever met in your life. Marvin Lewis is also the GM, so he's got one salary and two jobs. He's not going to fire them. Unless they go three and thirteen, two or three years in a row, he's not going to fire him. I'm just going to tell you that he's not going to fire him. He's doing a great job evaluating talent, but say that's he can't good get them then, over Because the Marvin
1: hump. Luce is a good coach.
0: Yeah, he just can't. He's like Mark Ray. He's going to get you good talent. He's going to get you to where you feel like you're just getting over that hump, but you never make it over the hump. And that's and that's going like they are really close. Yeah. Well, at least he makes the four Super Bowls. I mean, I would you know, four in my a row. right enough to make it to a Super Bowl. And by yeah, the way, exactly. isn't it about time that we give
1: that Buffalo team the credit that's due as one of the greatest teams of all time? I mean, four you know. straight Super Bowls. Do you have any idea how hard it is to do that? The odds are almost impossible to go to back-to-back Super Bowls, let alone four in
0: a row. Yeah, but the thing about it is we live in that culture where we'll never give them the credit. The same way that your Atlanta Braves will never get the credit naturally that they should get for winning all those pennants because they only got one World Series out of it. So if, you know, we we're, a, we're a winner co- culture. Uh, did you have two? We got two. No, we didn't.
1: We got to we got to the World Series like three times. And you won one. That counts but that counts. We got yeah. two three times.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying you know how we are as Americans. If you're not winning, you're a loser. And you're just the first yeah, loser that's in that true. case, and that's just that's just how we are. So I agree, though. That's a, that was a fantastic Buffalo team. And anybody that played Madden in those days know the only team you could possibly beat Dallas with on Madden in those years was Buffalo. Buffalo. Bears. Anybody else would just, would just get smoked. Jim
1: Kelly, no doubt.
0: Yeah. Thurman Thomas. Oh, yeah. Ed Reed. Not Ed Reed. Um, the other one.
1: Andre sorry, Reed.
0: Andre Reed, sorry. Yeah, so agree, but they'll never get to do, and that's an excellent thirty for thirty, by the way, listeners. If you haven't seen oh, it, uh, the footballs of Buffalo. It's, it's I a watched it the other day. Thing. Yeah, it was pretty my great. It Made one. Me really feel. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, let's go to the other AFC game. Uh, just make sure we uh, make sure we get through this, and uh, the uh, major, the MLB uh, Hall of Fame announcement just came out. Uh, Houston and Kansas City in the game. I don't think. Anybody really cares anything about? I think only people care about Cincinnati Pittsburgh because of the rivalry and the fact that Cincinnati's still on that you know ninety-one streak. Uh, I just have a hard time. I, I know Kansas City. You know, if you look at that ten-game win streak they went on, they didn't really play anybody. And I just JJ Watt at eighty percent. He's just a offense record. And I think if you give Hoyer another start, and Hopkins has been absolutely unreal. Uh, speaking of Clemson. Uh, on the outside, this year, I think they win an ugly like seventeen fourteen game. I'm gonna disagree. You I think imagine. it's I think it's Kansas City. I don't. I don't think that they're okay. any
1: great team at all. I think they have a great defense. Uh, their rookie cornerback Marcus Peters coming off of year with eight interceptions. By the way, nobody talking yeah. about him. Um, just incredible. And they've got they've got a ridiculous secondary. All three of their safeties are Pro Bowl-caliber safeties. Eric Berry coming back from cancer and just killing it this year. Been on fire. Uh-huh. You got They've got Tyvon Branch as well and Ron Parker. All of them have been incredible. Um, Justin Houston, my Georgia boy, best pass rusher in the uh-huh. league next to J.J. Watt. And the gap between him and Watt is not very far apart. I mean, it's just – this is going to be an ugly game because neither offense is particularly good. But, but I think Kansas City wins an ugly, ugly game. I think their ability to so get Travis just, Kelsey matched up with the game, against the middle linebackers would be the deciding factor.
0: So we agree. It's just an ugly game. We just disagree. <laughs> it's the ugly game. Oh, yeah, very ugly. 10-7 <laughs> <to> wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. Exactly. It's going to be a rock fight, like 9-6. Um, so let's shift over to the NFC. Uh, Green Bay at Washington. Who you get?
1: I'm going to take Washington.
0: I oh. think that seems,
1: I think Washington has all the momentum right now, and I think that's a big deal in the NFL. I think Kirk Cousins is playing – arguably he's playing as well as any quarterback in the game right now. And the loss of Jordy Nelson is a huge, huge loss for the Packers. Uh, if you've watched any of their tape, and you'll notice Aaron Rodgers doesn't have his normal numbers, and everybody's been blaming it on Aaron, and he's made some throws he doesn't normally make. But his receivers – outside of Randall Cobb, who's now double and triple teamed every play, don't know how to run the option routes the same as Jordy. And option routes mm-hmm. are a staple of that Green Bay offense. It's what makes them so unpredictable. And without that, and with Eddie Lacy trying to make himself into Lindale White, I mean,
0: they just can't <laughs> do much. And
1: that defense was never any great shakes to begin with. So I'm going to go with Washington. I think they've got the momentum. I think Kirk Cousins has the moxie. I think they pull it out.
0: Okay. But at this point, nothing in my life will allow me to pick a Kirk Cousins-led team over an Aaron Rodgers-led team. <laughs> and, I mean, that's that's just me. If if you give me two teams like before, we talked about all that one, I'm going to go with the better coach. Uh, and, and right now, you know, this is a quarterback-driven league. I totally agree. The Green Bay Packers wide receivers have a hard time getting off of press coverage. Um, and you don't have Jordan Nelson to take the top off the defense. So, they, you know they're not really respecting that. But the flip side of that is, I don't believe in Daniel Hall's rebirth as safety. And while Breedland has been better at cornerback, he's still young and he's still susceptible to getting beat. Um, again, oh, yeah. I think burnable. this is another, yeah, he's still he's still vulnerable. Um, I, I think this is another ugly game. I really do. But I just think Aaron Rodgers makes one more play than Kirk Cousins does, and and Green Bay moves on. That's that's just me. If Washington wins, it wouldn't surprise me, but I just can't in my heart. <laughs> Pick Kirk Cousins over Aaron Rodgers. I just can't do it. Um, I understand. So to the, yeah. I get you, though. Kirk Cousins has been playing phenomenal football. Um, but, you know, the pressure, uh, the playoffs, he hasn't been there. Aaron's been there. I'm, I'm going to go with Aaron. So we'll see. Yeah, that's another ugly one. Um, and, and I think we're going to get a, a, a third ugly one. It could be four. All four of them really could be ugly games, to be honest with you. Because I don't. I think this last one may be ugly because I could see Seattle just blowing Minnesota's doors off. And the reason I say that is I feel like that Seattle defense is starting to play better, and you've got a very young quarterback in Bridgewater, and he's starting to connect with his weapons. But, you know, I'm going to load the box against Adrian Peterson and say, you know, Teddy Bridgewater beat me, and I just don't think he can. And the flip side of that is Russell Wilson's been playing out of his skull. I don't know if, you know, oh, you yeah. letting him touch, his booty, touch a booty or what. But him and <laughs> Baldwin and Curse have just been phenomenal. They haven't missed a beat without Jimmy Graham. And then you give them Marshawn Lynch back, and sure, he's not going to get all the carries working his way back. But Christian Michael finally looked good for them as well. So I'm going to go Seattle like two or three touchdowns. I'm going to go with Seattle as well. I think they're too complete a team
1: to lose to this Minnesota team. I think Minnesota's good, and I think they're going to be around for a long, long time. I just don't think they're here yet. Um, Mm -hmm. Bridgewater you mentioning, is very young But so is their best receiver Stephon Diggs And he's going to have a whale of a day Trying to go up against Earl Thomas And uh, Richard Sherman And it's not going to be easy for him to get open And to do Mm -hmm. anything in space Which is where Stephon Diggs makes his money Um, Anytime you've got Adrian Peterson That's an X Factor Adrian is so talented that at any point He could just decide that I'm going to be better Than everybody on the planet And I, I don't think it's a blowout I think it'll be close but I think Seattle's offense is better than Minnesota's young defense at the moment. I don't think they're going to be able to get enough coverage to slow down that Seattle passing attack right there because their ends aren't going to be able to rush. Because they're going to want to keep Russell in the pocket. It's not Russell scrambling as much, which by itself that is incredible. It's his ability to throw on the run and adjust on the fly that makes him so dangerous.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. So, well, uh, we'll come back to our predictions for the championship game in the NFL next week. Um, the MLB just announced the uh, Hall of Fame annou- uh, Hall of Famers, and we have a small class: two men, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. The kid, you know, just mad to stand up, and Mike Piazza, who I think was overdue. Uh, oh, Piazza, got in insinuation. Oh, no, yeah, no, no, no. no. Uh, and but Ken Griffey Jr. was ninety-nine point three percent of the vote. Who are the three guys that didn't vote for King Griffey Jr.? I sometimes I think they have to revamp this because I how oh
1: definitely you know what I mean? there, how? there how? is no reason. I mean it's Go like ahead. Greg Maddox last year not getting 100 percent of the vote. I mean how could you look at Greg Maddox and say then What person could say no to Greg Maddox going in? Some of the 300 game winner, multiple Cy Young yeah. winner, dude had multiple seasons with an ERA under three. King Griffey Jr. If he hadn't have gotten hurt, if it weren't for injuries, would have the home run record so far away that it, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't even be close. I mean, I believe he was You're over four hundred before wow. he even went to Cincinnati, and he was hitting in yeah. Safeco Field in the King Dome. Yeah. I mean, these yeah. were the pitchers' parks of pitchers' parks. You're talking about a guy who. Mm-hmm is in the running for greatest center fielders of all time in the top three overall, and probably top three in defense as well, up there with Andrew Jones and Willie Mays. And that's hard for me yeah. to admit, believe me. As somebody who watched <laughs> Andrew Jones for 10 years, I've watched Ken Griffey Jr. just as much. The man had the sweetest swing in the game. The man could hit for power. He could hit for doubles. And everybody forgets that season that McGuire and Schultz went after it. Griffey was number three, yeah. and I believe he had 60. I mean, yeah. just unreal. Yeah. we are talking about a guy smack in the middle of the steroid era who was one of the few people of that era, along with Chipper Jones, Atlanta stand-up, who you can look at and say, no, <laughs> there's no possible way they did anything. I mean, the talent on Griffey was something you've never seen. He is the Michael Jordan of baseball, I believe. It hurt that he was in Seattle, but there has yeah. not been a more talented player and, in fact, that was part of Griffey's downfall because he hated practice and he wasn't as in love with the game as he should have been. Yeah, and That's why you saw the injuries when he went to Cincy.
0: Yeah, and there was a story that came out about him and Adam Dunn uh, were just sitting in the recliners in, in the clubhouse and not, not wanting to be bothered with the young kids and whatnot. That's the only thing that gave me some pause about him. But you, his, his talent is undeniable. So, I just real fast before we get cut off, uh, you said no, no, no to no, Mike Piazza. I mean, he's got the best offensive numbers of, of any catcher, I believe, of all time. He's in uh, the don't same boat as Bagwell. A...
1: No, he's in the same boat as Bagwell. If you're going to say that you can't vote in Jeff Bagwell because of steroid allegations, how can you, how can you vote in Mike Piazza? It's the same exact situation. Yeah. Both were jacked to the gills. Neither were proven to be on anything, but both were highly suspected. And if you're going to say that Jeff Bagwell can't go in, they have almost the same numbers. Like, their numbers are so close to that. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I, I don't understand how you can do that for one and not the other. It's either all of them are in, under suspicion or none of them are.
0: Well, you th- the thing about it is maybe this is the the crap, you know, that creates the iceberg to, to, to allow that to come forth. Like, if you don't have any tests and you're right, the numbers are very similar, then you can't leave them out. So maybe this is a step in the right direction towards that, and they just had to get themselves warmed up. But it goes back to the same thing I just said. To me, I – they have to revamp this voting because you have so many different agendas. It was okay to bring for the long ball steroids to bring fans back to the game, after the strike, and then you're going to hold it against them. Exactly. Now and you knew what going voting. on. It, it, yeah, so don't, don't, don't give me... And all this is on. a
1: retroactive witch hunt to begin with. That's another story for another time, but all this is a retroactive witch hunt. None of this was illegal at the time they were doing it.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm going to let it, give us a chance to, to rent here in a second, but before we get cut off, uh, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, and, and This is another new year. I'm glad to start it off with you guys. Please go to the link and download it. Uh, share it with your friends, tell everybody about it. Um, Dylan, it's your turn to rant. I'm interested to hear what yours is about. I think we only probably have maybe like 20 or 30 seconds before we get cut off for both of us to get in. So what do you want to tell the people about today?
1: I don't have much of a rant. There hasn't been much going on outside of, NCAA needs to get off their arrogant backsides and realize that you're not going to control New Year's because you don't want to move the Sugar Bowl or the Rose Bowl. With the playoff system intact, those games don't mean what they did forever ago. It just doesn't matter. So suck it up and realize that your fans, the only thing that keeps you guys as billionaires.
0: Exactly. And I think you probably know where I'm going to go with this one. It's going to be short and sweet. If not now, then win, Cincinnati. You know, if not now, then when. If the, the best way to get off the snag is to beat your arch rival at home to end your playoff drop. I mean, if not now, when? Um, so you know, I'll be on pins and needles. I'll probably be by myself on Saturday night watching it because I will not be fun to be around.
1: <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> we we, we texted back can and forth, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I will be. I will be secluded uh, and probably with some padded walls. Uh, So, again, bro, this time goes by way, way too fast. We're going to try to get together here, and I don't know if we're going to be able to watch the championship game together, but maybe uh, the Super Bowl or one of these playoff games uh, so that we can actually talk about it in person and then bring that uh, to the podcast. Always fun, bro. And, I will, like I said, I'll be texting you over the weekend, and I will talk to you next Wednesday.
1: Always, brother. Everybody get used to hearing us. We are the best you're going to hear on Blog Talk. But the only ones are going to go as in-depth as this. Everybody have a great night. Enjoy the championship games, everybody. Go Tigers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you later, people. Talk to you next week.